So when Nicole was sharing her testimony, I wonder if you captured the fact that, that God did a great work in her through someone. And I think actually in the heart of every single person who is a child of God, you have in you that sense of, I would like to be used by God. Because there actually is no greater privilege than the privilege of being an instrument through which God works, where a a life is changed, where someone goes from the kingdom of darkness and they're born again, they discover Christ, or, or they're overwhelmed by fear and they learn to walk by faith. Or their, their marriage is coming apart at the seams and health is restored. That's an incredible privilege. That's, I think, in the heart of all of us. But that gets often covered up by fear. Like, what if they ask something that I don't have an answer for? Ever wanted to be used by the Lord but then shrunk back in fear because you thought, I won't know the answers. Well, the, the training is available so that you have scriptural, truth-filled answers. And so what happens is lots of people go, okay, I have the answers, and then I'm still chicken. (laughs) So often, the Lord wants to do his divine activity through people, but we, we shrink back in fear. And so I'm really glad, genuinely glad that you are here this morning because as we look at the scriptures I want us to see how every single person in here this morning who is a child of God can experience that incredible privilege of divine activity, God working through you. There is no greater privilege. I promise you, when all of us come to the end of our life, we will see that which is most cherished in our life, not what we accumulated, but what God did through us. If you've tasted it, you want more. If you've never tasted it, it's an incredible privilege. And it is an overflow of what we've been looking at in the scriptures, what the, what the Bible defines as, and what we've called this series, of first importance. There's a lot of elements to our faith, but there are a few that rise to the surface. And we don't get to choose what those few are. The scripture defines what is of first importance in our faith. And we've read this section three weeks in a row now. It's from 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And here's what they are, three. First, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Second, that he was buried. Third, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. When it comes to our faith in Christ, that is of first importance. His death, burial, and resurrection. It is historically important that Jesus did not just die, but that he died for our sins. That is the first of first importance. Of second is that Jesus was buried. He was buried because he really was dead. And the fact that he died for our sins and really was dead and was buried then makes of third of first importance that Jesus was raised. These are genuine historic events. The death of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, and the overwhelming evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. But they're just not historic events of first importance. They are of first importance because of the spiritual significance. So the spiritually significant 
reality of the fact that Jesus died for our sins is that he paid the penalty for my sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. He paid for the penalty and he paid it freely. There's nothing that I can add. He paid it freely and fully. My sin is in Christ freely and fully paid. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. The spiritual significance of his burial is that my sin, and not just my sin, but my slavery to sin, is now gone. It's out of sight, out of reach, out of mind, because it's with Christ in the ground. My sin and my slavery to sin is gone. And that Jesus was raised because he was raised I am made new, and because I am a new person in Christ, I can live not just a better life, I can live a new life. Now, you may be thinking, wow, you just blew through. That's of first importance, you just blew through it. That's because we've been doing this for three weeks. So if you're visiting with us, we have spent three weeks talking the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. And it is of first importance, in fact, capturing it, we're all together this morning helps us understand how we live the Christian life. Because we closed last week from a quote from Ian Thomas who said this, the life that he lived, Jesus, qualified him for the death that he died. And then the death that he died qualified you and I for the life that he lived. So that the Christian life is the life that he lived then, lived now, by him in us. That, that statement of understanding what the Christian life is, is dramatically different than, honestly, what I grew up with. I grew up understanding Jesus paid the penalty for my sin. I understood that I was paid, my sin was paid freely and fully. I understood that he was buried. I understood he rose again and he went to heaven that I was intended to try to live a better life in honor and gratitude because of what he had done for me. But that is not an accurate biblical understanding of the Christian life. This is the Christian life right here, that it is the life that Jesus lived then, lived now by him in us. Something, sometimes the most obvious escapes us. You ever considered the root word of the Christian? Christian? Christ. So the Christ life. So many of us do this, this, I have this idea that the Christian life is me trying to do what Jesus did. Instead of recognizing, no, it is the Christ life still. It's just, it was lived then, now it's lived in me. But it's still his life. This is why I shared with you last week, if you were here, that the most impactful thing in my life in the last 12 months has been the identity that you declared during the time of worship. That it is not just a phrase to just remember. It is a phrase by which we would engage every moment 
of life with this truth that my new identity in Christ is that I am a child of God. I am part of his family. I used to be an enemy, but because of the death of Christ, I went from enemy to child. And as a child, I am forgiven fully, freely. And I am set free as a child of God from slavery to sin. I used to be an enemy and a slave to sin. Now I'm a child set free and I have a new identity in Christ because the spirit of God lives in me and he lives in me. It is the Christian life because it is the life of Christ in me to do the work of God through me. Now, I listened as Matt invited you to, and and Dallas invited you to speak it without the words in front of you. How'd you do? Oh, that's, that's a good answer for me right there. This is more than, folks, just something, a cute little saying. And for those who are embracing it, so blessed in the past couple of weeks for folks who have sent me an email that said, this, my identity in Christ and focusing in on it and repeating, it's changing me. The gal who said, for 35 years, I knew Jesus had paid my penalty, but I still carried the guilt. And when we went by that grave outdoor and I took a shovel and I threw that shovel of dirt as the reminder that my sin and my slavery was buried with Christ, I walked away for the first time in 35 years free, free from the guilt that I have carried, even though I believed in Jesus. For the young man who said, my identity in Christ is actually giving me victory in temptation that I've never experienced. I've wanted to get this out of my life, but I have not been able to. But for the first time in the moment of temptation, I have learned to say, I'm a child of God, forgiven and set free from slavery to sin. This is not, I'm not enslaved to this anymore. I act like I am. I live like I am. I make choices like I am, but I am not. The spirit of God lives in me to do the work of God through me. As I teach this morning, as you listen, man, my heart burns like mad for every single one of you that you would work into the fabric of your life this statement. So say it again with me, if you would. I am a child of God, forgiven and set free from slavery to sin. The Spirit of God lives in me to do the work of God through me. It is this expression, through me, this morning that I specifically want to focus on. Because through me is simply another way of saying divine activity, God's divine activity happening through me. God working through me. And it is what Jesus The night he was arrested and then crucified the next day, 
As he gathered with his disciples in what some of you know is the Last Supper, he was explaining to them, you have only known life with me and doing work, uh, the work of God with me, but there is going to become a day starting tomorrow where I'm going to be taken out of the way and that you are going to need to learn to live through me. And he prepares them for this, again, in the upper room. So I want us to focus on one single verse. Maybe you've already turned there in your Bible. If not, John 15, verse 5, where Jesus speaks regarding how divine activity is intended to happen through us. That God is going to continue to do his work through us. And here's the key. John 15, 5, he says, it's an analogy, so we'll have to break down the analogy. He says, I am the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, if you would, let's make sure you understand. Fruit, when he says bear much fruit, what's, what fruit? What's fruit? Apples, oranges, no. Fruit is the fruit is the work of God being done through us. So in other words, it's the love of God being demonstrated through us. It's the patience of God being demonstrated through us. It's the purity of God being demonstrated through us. But it's not just character. It's not just the character of Jesus. That's fruit. There's another type of fruit. Watch. There's the type of fruit that happens when you and I have the privilege to speak and it's God speaking through us and a person hears the truth of the gospel and they go from dead in their sin to alive in Christ. When a person is born again, that's fruit. When a person who is born again hears the scriptures as it's taught and they grow in their faith, that is fruit. When a person who is growing in their faith and then learns to then turn around and help someone else grow in their faith, that is fruit, all right? So the fruit that he's talking about, because this is an analogy, he, he has a, a grapevine in mind. He says, look at those grapes and think, my character, my love, my joy, my peace, my patience, my kindness, and People coming to Christ, people being born again, people enslaved to sin, being set free from sin. People who are new in Christ, growing up in Christ. People who are growing up in Christ, becoming teachers who teach others. That's all what? Fruit. That's divine activity through us. So ask yourself, in this analogy, is there fruit in your life? Does your, if you're married, does your spouse experience Jesus? His love, that's fruit. His kindness, that's fruit. His truth, that's fruit. Okay? Are you, is there any fruit in your life? Is anybody walking with Jesus, knowing Jesus, or helping others in Jesus because of God working through you? That's what? Fruit. 
Now read the verse again. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. That's what we want. I want my, my neighbors to go, man, I experienced Jesus in his character. And for some of them to go, I know Jesus because God worked through him. Or I'm growing in Jesus because God worked through him. Or somebody at your work is growing in Jesus because God worked through you. That's fruit. And we want much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, sometimes we, we take that, rip that out of the context of the verse and, verse and say, apart from Jesus, you can't do anything. You can't put the umbrella up. You can't drive to church. Well, that's stupid. Of course you can. There's people all over around Jacksonville driving around apart from Jesus. Yes? Yes. So when he says, you can't do anything, what's he saying? What can't you do apart from him? You can't bear fruit. So if you and I, there's a starting point. There's three steps here because there's three parts. On the vine, you're the branches. Second part, who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. And third, apart from me, you can do nothing. It actually starts with the end there. If you and I are going to bear fruit and bear much fruit, then first thing we have to do is continually admit impossibility. I can't do this. I cannot bear fruit apart from him. It's so obvious, but sometimes we miss the obvious. We think, uh, you know what we call love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness? You know what, you know what the Bible calls that? It calls it the fruit of the Spirit. And you and I have, many of our time, spent our entire lives trying to be more loving, be more kind, be more patient. But tell it to me again. What is it? It is the fruit of the Spirit. So actually, it's 100% impossible for you to bear the fruit of the Spirit because it is the fruit of the Spirit. It's so obvious, but sometimes we just miss it. And so we just, we just say, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do. No, it's his. It's the Christian life is the life he lived then, lived now by him in us. Because it's his life. It's his fruit. And apart from him, it's absolutely hard. No. So I always thought it was hard. And if something's hard, what do you do? You do, you try harder. That's what I did. Let's try harder. Try harder. Be more committed. Be more devoted. It's not hard. It's impossible. That makes a huge difference. Maybe this will cause a light bulb to go on for you. But understand this. Jesus did not come to make the hard easier. He came to make the impossible possible. So you and I will never bear fruit as long as we think, man, this, this Christianity thing's hard. It's not hard. It's impossible. Because if it's hard, then you and I will simply try to harder. We'll get up earlier. Or we'll just give up because it's hard. Well, it's worse than hard. 
It's impossible. Until you get there, you won't bear fruit. You'll try to be like Jesus, but it's the fruit of the Spirit. It only happens in relationship with him. So it is Jesus making the impossible possible. How? Back to the verse. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Probably you've heard that before. I had heard that before lots of times, but one day, like 10 years ago, when I was teaching this passage for CFC, I was sitting in my office and I thought, he's, he's painting a picture. I should actually get the picture in front of me. So I Googled vine. And here's the image that came up. And I've looked at this a jillion times since then. Because I was like, okay, Jesus, he has this picture in mind and, and he's the vine and I'm the branch. So as I'm trying to understand what Jesus is saying, I go, okay, there I am. There's Doug. There you are. Because you're the branch and he's the vine, right? You with me? You're the branch, he's the vine. This is not the vine. And a light bulb came on. Because is, is, that, is that the vine? Yes, folks, this, this is the vine. I had always thought that Jesus was trying to go, there's you and there's me. And he was saying, there's us. That I make the impossible possible, not the hard easier. I make the impossible possible because I make you and I one. Now, here's, here's the frustrating part. This is the way I had thought about it, but I had been told differently. I had read a book called Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret actually numerous times and he had said, it's not you and Jesus, it's you and Jesus, but I missed it. And it's made me pray differently for us this week. Not that you would hear words that you've never heard before, but that you would understand words that you may most likely have heard lots of times before. Because before that moment, when the light bulb came on for me, that the, the point here is not parts and parts, but oneness. I had already read Hudson Taylor say, the vine is not the root merely, but all. Root, stem, branches, twigs, leaves, flowers, and fruit. See, it's the fruit of him. You know why he wrote this? Because he had been a missionary in China for years, and he was finding it hard. And so he was trying harder. And he writes in his journal, God, I can't try any harder. And yet I'm still overwhelmed by the fact that my very best efforts still lead to impure thoughts and impatience. And the heat here in China is just killing me. And then the Lord 
opened his eyes to truth that he had heard but not understood. And in that moment, way, 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 many decades ago for Hudson Taylor, the Lord opened his eyes to the vine is all. Because the picture Jesus wanted his disciples and wants you and I to know is not parts and parts, but oneness. That I am in Christ and Christ is in me. That is the only way the impossible becomes possible. And so he writes his sister a letter saying, here's what I've learned. And I'm sure as she read it, she's like, seriously? I've read that verse lots of times, and you may as well. But never captured, I am one with Christ. Christ is in me, and I am in Christ. The Christian life really is the life he lived then, lived now, by him in me. So how does he make the impossible possible? It's by I I recognize, I can't. It's not hard, I can't. But I believe in every moment, in every trial, in every hard, in every impossibility, I believe what? I am in Christ and Christ is in me. That the life that I am called to live is the life that he lived then, but it's that he lives now. Still, it's him, but now it's him in me. Now, see, fruit of the Spirit is happening because it's not me trying to do what he did. It's him doing what he did, continuing to do what he did through me because he is in me. See, the great promise of 2 Peter 1.3 is that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Don't let that run past you. Because you, well, I know what it's like to throw out excuses. Oh, but I'm scared. And I grew up in kind of a passive family. And I'm not really outgoing. And I get nervous in front of people. And I didn't have a good role model. You ever make excuses for why divine activity is not happening through you? To each one of those excuses, because we all got them. We've perfected our excuses. To each one of them, the word says, oh, no, no. You're a partaker of the divine nature. Christ lives in you. And it's him in you that makes it true that his divine power has granted to you everything pertaining to life and godliness. You can have a godly marriage, whether your home you grew up in was a godly home or not, because Christ is in you. You can be a godly parent, whether you had godly parents or not, because Christ is in you. You can share your faith, whether you like to speak or not, because Christ is in you. 
See, every excuse I surface that, that makes me want to shrink back from the divine activity of fruit, the word says, no, you have what you need, everything that you need, because Christ is in you. So, back to the text. Third part. First part, part for me, you can do nothing. I admit, not hard, impossible. But I also acknowledge and believe that you who do the impossible is in me. So I have everything that I need for life and for godliness. So how does that oneness result in much fruit? The answer is this, he who abides in me and I in him. That's the one that the through life happens. That's the one where there's lots of divine activity. But there's two parts, abide in me and I in him. In other words, I'm in Christ and Christ is in me. Don't, don't see them as equal. When Jesus says to his disciples, I am in him, he is recognizing that if you place faith in Christ, you are born again, you become a new person. The Bible says this, listen. He pours his spirit into your heart and it is the seal, the guarantee of your inheritance in the saints. In other words, once you have the spirit of God in your life, he will never leave you. He will not forsake you. He is not in and then out and then back in and then back out. That's the fear I lived in early on as a Christian. I asked Christ to come into my heart. I trusted in him. And then I did stuff I shouldn't do and said stuff I shouldn't say. And then I'd go to church and I'd feel really badly about it. So you know what I'd say? Jesus, it's been a bad week. Please come back into my heart. But then I had to say that next week. Jesus, it's been a bad week. Please come back into my heart. And then the next week, Ever done that? Any, any? You have, you just don't have arms? Okay, there you go. I saw it. It's, a, it's the real deal. Because we have we've not understood. It's not parts and parts. It's oneness. And our oneness with him in us will never be retracted. He will always, let me say that again. He will always do his part. Always faithful. What makes the variable for fruitfulness? Whether I abide in him. Because he will always, once I'm his child, he will always abide in me. The question is, will I abide in him? So learning to abide is the key to fruitfulness. First, I have to, first step, I can't. It's not hard. It's impossible. But I'm one with him. I have everything I need for life and godliness. So if I have everything that I need, how does that provision lead to divine activity through you? How does that lead to fruitfulness through you? By learning to abide. That is the key. It's a continual submission 
to abide in Christ. Some of your Bibles use a translation in John 15, 5 that says, if you remain in me as I remain in you. And in one way, that helps because abiding is remaining. The problem with remaining is remaining feels a little passive, a little stationary. I'm going to remain here, remain here, stay here. I'm going to stay here. And that feels stagnant and passive when, in fact, the word of God says, go and love, go and forgive, go and make disciples, go and share, go and give. So there's an active. So how do I remain (laughs) and move as the scripture says move? It's because remaining is not stationary, remaining is wherever the script, whatever the scripture says, that's what I do. Forgive, that's impossible, but I do. Love, even though they didn't love me back, I remain. I remain under the word of God. But have you ever done this? Whoop. The scripture said move and you stayed. Oh, I'm remaining. No, you're not. You're grieving the spirit. Walking in the spirit. Go make disciples. Become a certified counselor. Ah, that was going to make me so scared. And you shrink back. Abiding. Remaining. It's not passive. It's active. In the activity of abiding. I'm, I'm hammering this in your thinking because abiding, I think people go, oh, man, I was reading my Bible for three hours just abiding with Jesus. Well, maybe you were, but then once you closed your Bible, did you actually get up and do what it said? Because if you didn't, you weren't abiding. Abiding is saying, I'm going to do what he says. Abiding is active. It's walking. Here's another analogy the New Testament uses. It's walking in the spirit. As the word of God speaks and gives commands, I am going to do what he says. And I'm going to do so in the confidence that he'll do as he promised. Now, don't just fill in a blank. What was the promise? You have everything you need for life and godliness. You have everything you need to be a a godly single person, to be a godly married person, to be a godly grandparent, to be a godly parent, to be a godly boss, to be a godly employee. You have everything you need in Christ. So whatever the scripture says, when the scripture says, do this, Abiding is what? Stepping in the confidence that he'll give me as he promised. And stepping in obedience. And stepping in obedience. It's active. Hudson Taylor, the missionary to China that I told you about earlier, gives this analogy. He says, it little matters to my servant 
whether I send him to buy a few cash worth of things or the most expensive articles. In either case, he looks to me for the money and brings me his purchases. That's, that's a picture of abiding. See, if a servant doesn't have anything, he could say, well, I can't go buy it. I don't have it. It's impossible. But the impossible is made possible because the master gave the servant whatever he needed to buy whatever he said. You, you following the example? So what's he do? Well, even though he couldn't do it himself because the master is giving him what he needs, he goes and he buys it, whether it's a little thing or a big thing, and he brings it to him. That's abiding. And it's a great picture. In fact, Thursday night, a high schooler came up to me afterwards, and he said, all right, so I've been thinking about that Hudson Taylor quote. And he said, so, so if that master gives the servant what he needs, and then he tells the servant, go buy, and here's what you need, and the servant doesn't do it, then he'd be like robbing his master, right? I was like, yeah, that's true. So, and this is the high schooler to me. He goes, so if, if God has given us his spirit, he gives us everything we need to do what he says, and then we don't do it? It's like we're robbing God. Is that true? And I was like, dude, I should have said that. That's brilliant. So I was like, I'm using that on Sunday morning. A high schooler taught me that Thursday night. And I was so clear in my thinking that when the Holy Spirit pours himself into you and gives you everything you need to do what he says and you don't do it, you and I are a bunch of thieves. Because he gave us what we needed and we pocketed it and then sat on it. A whole new level of repentance. You never thought of yourself as a thief before, maybe. But all of us robbed God in lots of ways in this last week. He gave us resources to do what he told us to do, and we sat on it. Taylor makes the spiritual application. He says, if God should place me in serious perplexity, must he not give me much guidance in positions of great difficulty, much grace in circumstances, great pressure and trial, much strength? No fear that his resources will prove unequal to the emergency. And his resources are mine, for he is mine and he is with me and dwells in me. Are you capturing it? That divine activity, fruitfulness, the through life, they're simply expressions all talking about the same thing. The fruitful life is a life that acknowledges I can't do what the scripture calls me to do because that would be the fruit of the spirit. I can't. Oh, but I've been made one with the one who can do the impossible. He who calls me to love is love and he is in me. And who has called me to be patient is patient and he is in me. I have everything that I need to do for life and godliness. So I'm not going to be a thief. I'm going to be abiding. I'm going to do what he says in confidence that he'll do as he promised. Once I capture it, I start asking the right question. And I say it that way because we often ask the wrong question. 
Thomas again says, don't ask what's possible. Only ask what is right. Now that seems so clear, but how many times do you know what the master has said to you and you have thought, that's impossible or that's hard? You didn't go, oh, it's right. And if it's right, then it's... Don't make me start again. <laughs> if it's right, it's, it's possible because Christ is in me. But we start backwards. We start with going, ah, that doesn't seem possible. And the greatest transformation for me, and, and I would guess for you would be this, that your Christianity would get off of what you feel capable of doing. And what you feel confident of doing. And what you think your strengths are. And what you think your weaknesses are. And you would stop thinking about you. And you would get focused on who Jesus is in you. And you would determine if he says it's right, then it is possible. That's the promise of scripture. He goes on. When you and I received Christ as our Redeemer, he gave us through his Holy Spirit. Just want you to capture this. He gave us through his Holy Spirit the fullness and power of his resurrection. He has given us everything that we could ever need at any time under any circumstance. That's right out of 2 Peter 1.3. He gave us, he gave himself for us to give himself to us, the gift of his life so that we may enjoy a wonderful personal relationship with him. Grasp this well, for otherwise your Christianity will remain boring, sterile, and impersonal, and could I add, unfruitful. Christ did not die simply that you might be saved from a bad conscience or even to remove the stain of past failure, but to clear the decks for his divine activity through you. How has he cleared the decks? By his death, burial, and resurrection. Those are of first importance. It's what cleared the decks so that divine activity would happen through you. Can I ask you, what's clogging the pipe? What's clogging divine activity through you? For me, it was ignorance for a long time. I didn't know. I didn't know that Christ, I, I knew he'd paid the penalty for it. I just didn't know he lived in me. I didn't know I was set free from slavery. sin. I knew the spirit of God was in me to do the work of God. It was ignorance. But if you've been here, you're no longer ignorant. And I got informed. And then I got chicken. Fear maybe, as someone just called out, fear may be clogging your pipe. So how do you deal with that? I'm a child of God, forgiven and set free from slavery to sin. The spirit of God lives in me to do the work of God through me. I'm telling you, in every moment of fear, you declare your identity and you will become a person of courage who abides. Sometimes it's just pride. I know what he wants me to do. I just don't want to do it. I want to do what I want to do. What he says doesn't seem great to me. In fact, it might seem a little like wrong. 
so we are proud and our pride clogs divine activity. We need faith to arise. A faith that says, I trust that you are right and I trust that you're true and I trust that you are sufficient. I'll do what you say in confidence. You'll do as you promised. That's faith that brings divine activity, the work of God through us. I wonder if you'd stand with me and as you stand, that, that physical body, that physical action of standing, that it might be a reflection that faith will arise in you as well. Let's declare this together. Let faith arise in spite of what I see, Lord, I believe that help my unbelief I choose to trust no matter what I feel, let faith arise. Let faith arise. For my champion's not dead, he is alive. And he already knows my every need. And surely he will come and rest.
sometimes we think of miracles only in the aspect of a, a blind person sees or a deaf person hears. I think a miracle is a husband loving his wife and a wife being patient with her husband. I think that's a miracle. I think it's forgiving someone who has hurt you to the core. That's a miracle. You see, the divine activity, the miraculous work of God is intended to be the daily flow of the life of Jesus lived then, lived now by him in us. Lord, would that be the life you would live through us? To the praise then of his glory, because it's him, not us. God bless.